John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Today my guest is Emery Bardaki, uh, the inventor of the Grippedo. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, John. How are you? Pretty good. Um, so <clears throat> tell us a little bit about um, <clears throat> about your strength journey and what... what uh, what brought you up to the point where you were going to um, invent this this awesome grip item? Well, well thank you. Um, appreciate that. Um, so uh, the process, I, how I got to Grappito, I think, is um, is a result of my overall training, my overall uh, journey throughout martial arts and strength training. Um, I was born in the U.S. in um, Silver Spring, Maryland. I started karate when I was two, two and a half years old. Uh, super, super young, but I, I can I can remember some of the things. It was um, I, it was something I was really passionate about. My parents knew somehow well, they knew that I was really into martial arts. So I started that for a few months. I was really, really young, and I um, and I guess my my mom never really wanted to stay too long uh, while I'm doing martial arts. And she and when she left, I guess I was crying and stuff. So they they quit. I quit the martial arts thing, but then I moved to Turkey. My parents are both Turkish. I moved to Turkey when I was seven years old, um, and I was there until 18. Um, and in Turkey, um, wrestling is a national sport. Um, they have, a, around that time, they had a, a really great Olympian, Naim Suleiman, uh, Olympic uh, medalist multiple times. He was competing. They've been they're really, really good at reco and uh, freestyle and everything. And, but um, I started judo. I started judo when I was 12. Uh, I had a really, really good club, and I was really grateful. I don't think I realized at the time that um, I was in a city called Antalya by the beach, and it was a great location, and we had a lot of Eastern Europeans. We had a lot of Ukrainians, Russians, Georgians, Isaries, and um, all these countries are really, really good at grappling. And I was really lucky to be exposed to a lot of these uh, uh, grappling styles. Um, so I learned judo. While I was learning judo, I realized um, some of these Russians, the Eastern Europeans, are doing things differently. It always caught my attention. So I trained there. I competed. Um, I was ranked four in the country. I want to go to the Olympics. My coaches wanted to, but my, my mom and dad are educators, and uh, they knew in a country like Turkey, there's no uh, future uh, in sports uh, unless you're really really good. But even that, like, there's a lot of politics. There's a lot of things that the government supports or doesn't support, and, um, and and so I came to US. I I wasn't sure what I want to study. I I enrolled in um, Catholic University, and um, I found about biomedical engineering. And um, one of the professors there, he was Turkish. And I was talking to him, and he was trying to give me advice, and he asked me if I uh, like sports. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah, and, and everything started to click. Um, I got my bachelor's. I got my master's. Um, I was teaching while I was in uh, – well, when I came over, I was 18. I started uh, grappling at um, National Institutes of Health, and I – they wanted me to start teaching some of these um, techniques I knew because it was new in the U.S. They, they did not have a really good uh, understanding of the Russian-style pickup game, 
um, uh, at, at that time, uh, double leg city leagues were legal in judo, and uh, they, they really liked the, the style I had. So I started teaching there and um, finished my degrees. And then I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which I really, really loved, and I coached. And that kind of, that whole process kind of um, is my overall journey. And I guess for Grappito, I had a really bad elbow tear. Um, sorry, elbow injury. I, I got locked with a, uh, someone got an armbar on me at um, 2014 uh, Maryland Open, a really good Russian guy. Um, and... I didn't open my arm, like it, my hands were closed, so he didn't extend my arm or anything, but I heard something just, something just happened in my elbow, it was like painful, um, I was lucky and really blessed, I somehow, I was able to throw him with my right uh, hand over my left shoulder, I did a throw and I won, but my elbow's never been the same. So after that, I just did a lot of physical therapy, and then you know, I slowly started started thinking about things I can do to make my elbow better. When I was in school, I studied a lot of bioptics. Biomedical engineering is very, um, it's a very wide, uh, broad uh, discipline. There's, you can do bioinformatics, you can do, uh, you can do uh, bioptics, bioimaging. And I took a lot of biomedical engineering classes focusing on biomechanics, but it wasn't really something I really I was passionate about it, but I didn't focus on it too much. But after my injury, I went back, started studying physical therapy, uh, and um, talked to my physical therapist friends and just putting things together, and that kind of that kind of um, led to what it is today. <clears throat> Very cool. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, would you say that, that that injury is what led to? Um... Yeah, and rehab is what led to the uh, the grippito, or th did you use that item? Yeah. Um, well, uh, yes, yes, it, w it was definitely a part of it. Um, so when I came to U.S., two of my good teammates um, they got on a national team uh, in Turkey, and in the summers when I'm off, I would go. I would go to Turkey. I would train with them. I would see, I, I would see how they're growing and the things that they're doing. They're competing, and um, and and one thing that really caught my attention. I have a friend, uh, like he's, he's like a brother to me, and um, he he started training with the gentleman um, Hussein Uskan. He was an Olympic gold medalist, and he's actually Chechen, but he he competed for Turkey. Uh, he's he was very, very good. He was very successful. We always knew about him, uh, even before my friends were in the Olympic team. And when when they went to train with him, uh, we learned a lot from him. And that one friend of mine, is um, he's half Chechen, and his mom is Chechen, so his mom would make a lot of Chechen foods. So he's saying he used to come over um, uh, for dinner. Um, there's also another Georgian gentleman called Durak Lutnadze. He's actually... The, um, he's actually the um, head. I think he's the head coach of the Georgian Judo national team right now. He was he was really really good, and my friend was really really lucky to learn from him. And my friend, there was a tournament here at New York Open, um, and my friend, I, I told my friend about it, 
And my friend came out to compete. It was a really great tournament. He placed uh, third. There were some really, really good judo guys um, that year that competed. There was uh, Olympian, American Olympian Roddy Ferguson. I think he was on the weight class below. Um, I think Rick Hahn, who fought in Bellator, was on the weight class above. So he did, I was hoping he went against them, but he didn't. But on his weight class, he went against good guys. He got third. Um, a week later, he was competing at a sambo tournament. So sorry, he was competing at a judo tournament in in um, in Philadelphia. Yes, it was in Philadelphia, and I saw him, and I haven't seen him for years. And his judo was completely evolved. It was completely different. And I couldn't help to start picking his name. Like, what are you doing? How are you doing? I drove out to New York, and he told me a lot of training methods he picked up from Elston, um, and, and he started teaching me. And that kind of opened my mind, and it's, um, I think, especially at that time, it was, it was something that was fairly new. Um, at that time, like, I, there was no kettlebells in the U.S. At that, that, I, that I saw, but he showed me a lot of things that it was very new to me, very different, very different. And, and I could see that really uh, up this game. And I read that book, I don't, uh, you probably know Dinosaur Training. And yeah. Some of the things were very similar. And, and I was like, okay, there's, there's, a, there's, uh, there's a pattern here. And, and I always just kept that thinking outside of the box and studying this different sports, different disciplines, like arm, arm lifting, um, or different training methods and not just um, focusing on one thing. Because I, was, I remember I was talking to my buddy, you know, I was telling him, you know, he's like, I was telling him how I bench press, things like that, and he, and he was telling me, you know, he's like, there's a lot of guys here that never really bench pressed, and, but, but they're, they're really, really strong. And, and then, like, like, the things they would do, I found out, like, slight hammering. Here, that's, everybody knows about it, but at that time, that was, I think, Four years later, there was a video on um, Fedor Emilianko using a sledgehammer. You've probably seen that video. Yeah. yeah. But then it with me. I was like, okay. But one thing he mentioned they do a lot is they would get bands, very heavy bands. They would do like one rep, two reps, really, really strong, almost kind of like Olympic lifting, like the mentality, very, very heavy, low reps, uh, different than what I'm used to for training. I guess it's in a different um, – different plane in the transverse plane more than compared to Olympic lifting. So I, I saw it technically being um, possibly helpful and seeing my buddy completely evolve from this and seeing how Hussein performed later and winning the, uh, uh, the gold medal. I realized this type of training is very important. And in, in the U.S., it kind of went into that direction, but this was just very early on. So when I kept that in my mind, I always like to think outside of box with my training. Um, one of my philosophy is if, if you want to be successful, I think you got to do what everyone's doing. You got to do what everybody's doing, but you also have to do everything they're not doing, willing to do everything that they're not doing. And that, that is of course effective. You have to think smart. And, and then, you know, I read about Joe Kinney, how he made his own grip devices, things like that. Then, you know, I used to read about Bruce Lee. He apparently used to draw his equipment, have someone build it for him. And he's always willing to take that path 
no one's taking and willing to think different. And things can go wrong and you can get hurt, but the reward that comes with it is a lot. So that's been a part of my philosophy with my training. So it's a combination of those two things. And my elbow was really, really bad. I had a really bad judo uh, injury from my shoulder, a tear. I was getting ready for 2017 Sambo um, Nationals, and I hurt my elbow. It was really, really bad. I couldn't do much. So I started doing this judo, uh, the grappito uh, sand training method with twisting, and it was the only thing I could do. I was like, I could do this, and it doesn't hurt. And it was the only thing I could do intense. Like, I could probably do light weights and stuff like that, but I'm getting ready for the tournament. I, I, need the, I need some intensity. I can't do rehab stuff. And it's something that I could really do and I could really push. And I was just, I had a bucket and I was keep wrenching, wrenching, and just turning, twisting. At that time, I had a different handle, um, which we plan to make. We're going to bring that back. Um, it was actually, I had a smaller ball handle that fit in the arm hand a little bit better. And I think that's in some ways a little bit better. And, and my arms got, at least it was, I, I could compete. I didn't think much into it. I went to the tournament. Um, it was a, it was a tough tournament. I was not expecting it to be tough. I thought it'd be simple. Um, I had a lot of friends that do it, um, that would constantly win it. And this year they brought a lot of, Eastern European players, and at the tournament, they announced, oh, this is going to be not Nationals, it's going to be U.S. Open. And they went through the guys that, there was a couple Olympians, there was a couple uh, world champs, and uh, my nerves were really high, and I, and I was a little worried, and because uh, um, it's my first Sambo tournament. I, I did Sambo when I was Turkey, that's something I was exposed to, and, I did a, and, and my background is in Judo. But it was my, it was like a first thing, and I haven't competed in a while. But I did well. I I went through the matches, got to the final, and I lost by a point. I was I was really upset, really bummed out. But then I was like, hey, you know, this this is pretty good. I, I was thinking about pulling out, not doing this tournament. And then then slowly I start looking back, and I was like, you know, these things maybe actually maybe helped me. And I and I thought about it, and I kept doing it. And the, the product evolved. I did, I did the dumbbell things that for the nation pronation, or you can have your arm extended out and turn a like certain rotation. And I feel like, I feel like in grappling, working your grip with your wrist, a shoulder, internal, even with your shoulder, all together is very important. Um, I don't know what your background is in grappling. I, I believe you do a little bit Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but you're probably very familiar how you get a kimura and things like that, how, how things work. So that's, yeah. that's kind of led to the journey. That's cool. Um, and, and that's, that's interesting. Um, that you kind of come to that conclusion with grip. I think a lot of people, well, first of all, grip isn't that popular. Most people don't do, um, grip training. Some people dabble in it, you know, they'll get some little, you know, gripper, you can do a million reps with from some sporting goods store or whatever. Most people aren't using like a captain's a crush gripper or, uh, most people aren't going beyond even just grippers. <clears throat> I think grippers are, are cool, but, but they're very limited, I think as well. Um, and then you get people that are, that are into the grip sport and, and they do a lot of, uh, 
like, I guess I'd call it like a pure grip test, like arm pretty straight, picking something up off of the ground. But, but I think even that is very limiting um, as far as uh, overall functionality goes, because, and you probably realized this at some point, um, your grip and the muscles involved with closing the hand and the wrists and stuff have a lot to do with your elbow and anything that has to do with your elbow travels into your shoulder. So I think it's very important to be able to have a strong grip that can also uh, like twist or roll or, you know, multifunctional, you know, that your grip has to be coming from, from your hand, but your elbow also needs to be able to sync up with that. Your shoulder also needs to be able to sync up with that for you to truly have a useful grip in the real world. Um, picking something up is cool, but especially in a grappling situation, I mean, you're probably never going to be standing over your opponent and basically like deadlifting. Them. <laughs> your grip is going to be used with your arm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then your hips are probably also involved, but in the very least, it's going to be, you're grabbing their arm and, and vying for control or you're grabbing them by the head or leg or whatever, gi, whatever it is, you're grabbing this and, and there's going to be some twisting and, and pulling and pushing and torquing and all that has to work together. And I think in the, especially in, in just strength training community, you don't really see people doing, um, doing a lot of that. Um, Back to sledgehammers, I'm a big fan of those because that stuff does that as well. You can lever a sledgehammer. You can do sledgehammer rotations, things like that. Um, and then beyond strength training, uh, martial artists, and, and I've said this on multiple episodes of, of, of the podcast, um, they just avoid strength training like it's the plague. So, so I know that most of them are not doing uh, I guess we would call that advanced grip training or functional grip training, whatever it is. I know they're not doing that for the most part. Um, other than obviously what occurs while they're grappling, there's a certain amount of strength that can be built by just doing that. Um, but I think that's very interesting because I've never, like people don't address that, um, especially in martial arts. Well, I think like one thing I, I, I liked about, being in Eastern Europe, I think those guys over there, they understand that I feel like weight training is big. Like the club I had in Turkey, half of the grappling club was a weightlifting gym and the other half was that. And and I didn't, in U.S., I didn't see that. Like, in, when we were there, I think Russians are very, like, uh, do this a lot. Like, after the grappling, they would go, they would do weightlifting circuits and or they would do a lot of rope climbs. And I feel like why Eastern Europe, like the Georgians, uh, Russians, Chechens, why they were so successful is they they get that because they've been doing it for a very long time. They have different grappling styles like Kurash, well, the, the, the different styles that brought Sambo together. And I think they understood how that works. Not to mention, I think you talked about Marcelo Garcia, like we don't know what he does like outside of grappling. We don't know how his life is. But when I'm studying some of these athletes, their life in these areas, some of these athletes that are successful, their life is very physical. I saw mm -hmm. Kazakh, amazing uh, judoka, that I, I was looking into him, but like he lived in a village and he, he did like a lot of labor, a lot of like things that build like real world strength. 
Um, and that's been a part of my journey too. Uh, understanding that, like wrenching, I feel like is something that's like mechanics uh, or guys do, and it builds a wrist, um, the hands. I have a friend, uh, volunteer. He was a, he's a mechanic, and uh, he has he has the nastiest hands I've ever seen. His wrist just his hands are just really, really, really strong, and. I actually work as a construction project manager, and I actually work with a lot of guys that do labor, and you notice that these guys are really, really strong, and they do a lot of wrenching-like movements. They have, like, really strong wrists, really strong hands, arms, fingers, because they're gripping things that are, like, um, that are maybe just working the tip of your fingers, kind of like uh, the rock climbing stuff. So that, unorth- I guess, People are doing this now, but it's not like going to a gym lifting a dumbbell. It's a little different, and that's why they're building really nasty strength. And some of those lifting grapplers, they keep their hands on you. They're just really strong. And I think they figured out there, and I think in the U.S., seeing evolution of jiu-jitsu, I, I feel like they understand now. They're doing a lot of sledgehammering, flips. I feel like a lot of that stuff, stuff is coming into play because... These athletes end up really want to succeed. There's a need for it. If they want to get ahead, they, they got to do it. You have to. Yeah, I would agree. I think, um, well, I think it's like, a, it's like a pyramid, right? I think the people at the top of the pyramid are, um, are doing it, and it is starting to trickle down. But I would say the base of that pyramid, like the majority of people um, still in the U.S., just, just, don't, just don't get it. Um, I mean, I, I talked to a lot of these people. There's several, I mean, there's an innumerable amount of martial arts gyms in Morgantown where I'm at. And, and it's just, I mean, they just don't, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, I uh, the people, like you said, the people going to worlds or the American open, um, I'm sure the people coming out on top are, are doing that. Um, there's probably a couple exceptions to that rule. But I would say the majority of them are are doing it. But for some reason, the people underneath of that are are very opposed to it. I, and I haven't really figured it out uh, why, because if you look at any other sport, um, <clears throat> as far as sports go, football, American football is, is uh, pretty new. Um, but by comparison to martial arts, in any case, um, <clears throat> you know, and it came out. And in the beginning, there was... Uh, an attitude against um, strength training, even in football, they're like, Oh, you, you know, you want to be fast. You want to do this. We can't be doing that. And then a couple teams is like, no, I think being strong is pretty useful. We're going to do this. And then they started winning and immediately people said, well, Hey, they just won. We're going to do that too. And then now you can't find, you will not find a football team that's not lifting weights. And it happened. I mean, comparatively overnight, you know, I mean, how, how jujitsu has been around for how long and, and these people aren't doing this. And, um, I don't, I don't know too much about Sambo, but it's been around, I'm sure just as long, if not longer. And, uh, and, and football, football figured it out very quickly. Um, even, even like women's soccer here I and mean, you won't find like a women's soccer team where they're not, um, lifting weights and, and you won't find, uh, you know, rowing teams. And, and, uh, in fact, I would say, and I've said this before, the, probably the most up to speed, 
um, martial art in the U.S. is probably wrestling. And I think I was actually thinking about that. Yes. Um, and a lot of that, um, as I said before, I think more or less has to do with it being in school and the athletes not having as much of a choice because the coach says, Hey, you're going to lift weights. Like, you know, if you don't want to, too bad. Whereas if you go to a jujitsu gym or something and you don't want to lift weights, well, <laughs> you don't have to lift weights. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, like, I guess, I think there's also a little bit of difference between like different martial arts um, too. So like, it, like judo, sambo, wrestling are in a similar category, uh, I, I, somewhat, because you, you're you're picking someone up, you're lifting. Like strength has to be important. You're lifting someone. Of course, you want to have good technique, a leverage, and everything. But there's it's very dynamic. It's very explosive, and mm-hmm. people start to realize oh, explosiveness is super important. Core has to be strong. Your legs have to be strong. You're picking someone up. Plus, your arms are in front of you, just constantly pushing, pulling. Uh, strength is, I think, like, I want to be careful to say this. Maybe, I, well, let me tell you like this. I can feel, like, I think that this guy can possibly get away with not training as much as strength as these other guys do. And why is that? Uh, that is because basically jujitsu. There's a lot of leverage, and you're using your strongest, like your legs, against something that is more vulnerable, like someone's heel that doesn't require that much uh, force to really hurt uh, someone. Um, or or arm someone's arm against your legs, and if, if you lock it right, you're also using your back. That's why I really like. There's so much, um, there's so much, uh, there's so much leverage and there's so much you can do that make it, I feel like you can get away with it a little bit better than other sports. You, you possibly can. But again, it doesn't mean training strength is not going to help. Not to mention strength training is going to prevent injuries. A lot of these guys are getting ACL injuries right on left with the clubs. And if you Doing strength training on a regular basis, my opinion is you can prevent some injuries and you can keep them healthy. And if you have a basic knowledge, um, you can come back faster from injury. So there's something strength training can provide. Yeah, I would, <clears throat> I would definitely agree with that. The injury thing is a huge deal, um, and I would also agree that um, you know jujitsu is so technique oriented that. Um, you know, strength may not be as much of a factor as maybe some of the other grappling arts. Um, It may not be as much of a, uh, you know, factor as some of the other grappling arts, but it's definitely still a factor. Um, And, uh, but one thing I would like to touch on is, um, so, something that's kind of overlooked. Um, and, and I believe, especially in, in jujitsu, uh, your situation from earlier that, uh, you said a guy had you in a, um, uh, some kind of arm bar or something, but, uh, your hands didn't, um, give way, uh, and you still injured your elbow or whatever. Um, and I would say that almost has to have come from 
just the sheer amount of force and power being put into that arm. Even though it was in an advantageous position, there was still more opposing force and that led to an injury, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is a, a huge thing. Um, if you can, if you can hurt someone while they're defended, <laughs> you see yeah. what I'm, you see what I'm saying? I, I think, now it's not ideal. I don't think you should ever like say, Hey, I can't wait for this person to like defend my move so that I can do this. Obviously that's not ideal, but I think it's very useful if, if you're strong enough to where it doesn't matter what they're doing, that's huge for your sport. I mean, think about any other sport. If, if that were the case, you know, like if, if you could say you're playing soccer and you could say, well, it doesn't matter if the person's in front of the goal or not, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, Yeah. I think that's huge. Yeah. I think that is a very, very good point. I saw someone get a rear naked on someone, but he couldn't, couldn't get it in uh, under the, the um, jaw with the side of the foot. Sorry, by the way, I'm echoing a little bit too much. I don't. Can you hear me clearly? Uh, it's it's a little uh, a little in and out at at spots. Okay, sorry. Uh, let me try to come closer. I don't know if that will help. But he finished the choke without having it fully in because he was really strong. Yeah. And he talked about how after every grappling session, he would get a foam roller and just squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Of course, effect, if you want to be efficient, you want to get the best technique possible. But we're in era in MMA. Everybody knows Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Everybody knows it. Uh, so you have to you have to do strength training when the technique is similar. You have to. The guy that's most uh, better prepared from strength and conditioning is more likely to win. Um, another philosophy of mine is, like, I, know, I think, you know, Gracie says, um, you can measure a good instructor by his least athletic student and how effective he is. I, I completely get that. I completely that that's a very very good point because he's showing that shows how good of an instructor the technique must be good, and he can teach in that a student that's not athletic can do well. I completely get that, but what I saw in Eastern Europe, coaches are giving good strength advice to their students and making them more athletic right. and more stronger with the technique, not to mention. Not all strength training uh, methods are going to be good for grappling. Like, Correct. They try different things, and they have things that work better than others. And I guess that's what makes a good coach, the experience he has. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's one of the downsides here with um, the strength training. Um, I think maybe in Europe uh, it's a little better organized or something, but uh, here when you get a jiu-jitsu player or a judo player or something that's that's doing uh, strength training, they usually don't seek out the help of a professional. They they read they read something online, they watch a YouTube video or or they catch some short interview from a Gracie where he says, Well all I did was this and then that's all they do and 
um, or they get with their friend who happens to be the strongest person they know and they kind of do what they do. But none of that, yeah, I mean, they're going to get stronger from it, right? But none of that has anything to do with their sport or what they're doing. And they, they're not getting a professional plan or a professional opinion. They're kind of just doing their own thing. And then if, if that doesn't work, they shouldn't blame strength training or whatever. They need they can only blame themselves because they were taking advice from themselves essentially and doing a plan they came up with. And and the true irony is they wouldn't have done that with jujitsu. I mean, they're not sitting at home learning jujitsu watching YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really good. you know. So why wouldn't they go find? You know, and, it, and they do. I see this with with um, with every sport. I, you know, we're talking about martial arts, but this is with every sport. Um, I see people do this with diet as well. You know, they'll they'll read something online or they'll watch a YouTube video or their friend will tell them, hey, you need to go keto or whatever. And, they, and then they'll do it. And it's like, well, your friend that told you was like an engineer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's sitting at a desk all day. <laughs> like, you know, like- yeah. <laughs> and what, what the hell does he know about diet? I mean, he, he went on a, he, you know, he did a diet, maybe he had some success with it, but what does that have to do with you and your sport and your performance or anything it has nothing to do with that. So I think it's, it's, it's key to find a professional and say, Hey, what, you know, what are you doing? And then don't take that professionals, um, uh, you know, what they tell you to do. Don't take it as a suggestion. <laughs> it's not a suggestion. Oh, no. like, <laughs> yeah. Like do it a hundred percent and do it, you know, preferably for a solid year. Like, like give it that effort. Say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to strength train for a year under a professional, or I'm going to change my diet for a year under a professional and see what the difference is. And if it worked and then if it didn't work, I'm sure you could quit. I mean, I wouldn't, I would just find a different professional with a different method and do the same thing and do another year. But people don't want to do that. They want to try something for three or four days. And if it didn't work, like, you know, throw it in the closet forever and, uh, you know, but the, the irony, like I said, is they, they don't do that with their sport. You know, they don't, they don't go to jujitsu for three days and get rolled around and beat up for three days and then quit. You know, they're still there and they're still under a professional. And then they'll start going to seminars and seeking advice from other professionals. You have to use that same mentality for everything else. That, that's just how I feel about it. I think you, you you have really, really great points. I can't agree with you more. And, you know, the top guys are actually getting good advice. They're, they're working with really good strength coaches. When you look at the ones that are succeeding, yeah. they have really good strength coaches. They have very good dietitians. And uh, and when you look in that pattern, it's, it's quite obvious, but I think a lot of people don't get that. As simple as it is. Um, I was looking up like some of John Donahue's guys, um, which actually my buddy that was on my team he moved to New York. Um, he trains with him a lot. He tells me, but like they're they're super technical those guys in jiu-jitsu, But even some of those guys, they have really great some of the best. It has a lot of experience. And myself, my game changed a lot. Um, I found a I found a um, trainer that was. Really Kettlebells. Uh, he competed in Olympics and in, in uh, Olympic lifting, but he was really, really good with kettlebells. 
And uh, I, I always knew what kettlebells were in Turkey, being expensive, but I never really learned kettlebell uh, here. But I know it's something that's super effective. Um, I, I guess maybe I probably did swords and stuff, but I didn't do more than that. And this guy broke down kettlebells. He taught me like everything, and it, it completely changed my game. And I realized these professionals are for reason. They're doing this for a reason. And there's so much to it that people that are not doing that will ever know. Right. And But there's a lot of resistance. And I don't know why. I, I really don't know why. Yeah, like I said, I would agree with you. I think the people at the top have really fine-tuned it. And, um, <clears throat> you know, they, they, they know what they're doing. And their coaches... For the most part, I mean, I, I even I do see a few professional uh, fighters and coaches doing some questionable stuff, but I'd say the majority is, you know, they're up to they're up to speed. I just I can't figure out why it hasn't trickled down as well as you would think that it should have by now. Um, there is there is some kind of uh, barrier or something, some, uh, some kind of unspoken barrier, unspoken rule or something that's just not allowing this to uh, to trickle down to the rest of the sport, unfortunately. Um, I think whoever can figure out what that is will make a lot of money. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but I have not figured out what that is, um, unfortunately. <laughs> I think jiu-jitsu, like, compared to boxing, compared to um, wrestling, it doesn't it's – still, it's still new. It's still, it's still an early phase, of, uh, even in MMA. Um, compared to some other sports in the U.S. And I think it's going through that process. And I think 10 years from now, things will be different. Or 20 years from now, it will be different. And just like anything, it's just going through its course. And I think for Jiu-Jitsu, I, I feel like Jiu-Jitsu is a very complex art. There's people, some people have very good ground game. Uh, they play from their back. Uh, and some people are, uh, what do you call it? They, they, they attack the guard, and some people are really good guard players. And I think one thing uh, that needs to be understood is there needs to be athlete-specific strength training. Um, and I think more strength coaches are understanding this now. And I first heard this concept from kettlebell guy, Jason Brown. And it really made me think athlete-specific training is important. He was saying how he, if he trains how he trains a guard player is going to be different than how he trains someone that's not a guard player. Yeah, and and I think the, this techniques that you can do and the styles you can have is it's a little bit different than judo. Like in judo, you have like a Japanese style, and then you have like a right European style that's very strength dominated, but even between those, I feel like a Japanese uh, style judoka, um, the strength training for both is not going to change too much. Right. But I feel like with a jiu-jitsu guy, there's something there. Like if someone is playing a really like a very flexible hips and doing a lot of guard stuff, I might make that guy do like super heavy squats constantly all the time. I want to make sure he has that flexibility. But at the same time, I want to make sure activating a lot of muscles uh, and it can prevent from injuries and things like that. But if there's like a no, like I have a friend, he's a really good no-do grappler, super 
explosive. And he doesn't like to play the card game. But for him, I used to make him do like really good squats and like uh, contrast training and explosive stuff. But I think there was something there coaches are learning, and I, I'm just student of the game. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Uh, but I think we'll, we'll get to the bottom of it. But at the end of the day, strength training can't be ignored. It, 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 has, to, it has to be ignored for, for various reasons. Yeah. And, and I agree with um, exactly with what you said. I think especially with the individual sports or, or even with a team sport like football where parts of the team have different uh, different objectives. But if it's an individual sport, I think your strength training needs to be, um, especially later on, maybe not in the beginning because, you know, general strength, you know, can, can be uh, useful for anyone. But as you do it, your train, your strength training needs to match um, not only your style, but your your goal or your game plan. Right? Um, I used to train um, a, a couple MMA people and some boxers and stuff. And one boxer in particular, uh, she went on to be a, a national champion. She got second at a world championship and, and a, a bunch of other accolades. But our, all of our um, strength and conditioning was geared towards her specific style and her specific game plan. And um, I, I think that's lost in a lot of martial arts classes because there's like, it's like group think like, Hey, we have this group class. Everybody's going to do the exact same thing. And, and that can work in a non-competitive atmosphere. If it's just a jujitsu class for a bunch of people who just want to like get together and do jujitsu and have no aspirations of, of, um, competing which is fine um that works but the moment you have like a competitive team and if you're going to market that and say hey this is our competition team or these people are going to go to this competition i think it's very important that those people get individual attention and get hey like this is going to be your game plan and this is going to be your game plan and then everything has to revolve around that um you have to know how you're going to win or at least have a good idea of how you're going to win and maybe a backup plan. And then everything else needs to revolve around that. And you see that with um, a lot of other sports, but again, for some reason um, I've been to a lot of martial arts gyms and people will, I have heard this in, you know, just about every state I've been to where I've been to a martial arts gym, they'll say, well, you don't really need a game plan because it's so dynamic and it changes and you got to be ready for anything and yada, yada, yada. And, and that's all true, but it's also not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you have to have a game plan. Um, and of course, yeah. and you're, you know, th there's that old saying, if, uh, you know, uh, failure to plan is planning to fail. Right. Um, I don't think you would ever talk to a guy uh, or a woman that's one jiu-jitsu worlds or sambo worlds or judo uh, the olympics or something like that that would say no you know i just went in and kind of was winging it <laughs> i don't i don't think that's ever you know i mean and you and you hear you can you can if you barely pay attention you can hear the stories of these people right like you can you can find a judo guy and you can talk to him and you can say and, and you'll hear him say, well, I was at such and such competition and I was watching my opponent and I saw my opponent did this, did X, Y, and Z every time he went out. So when I went out, I knew he was going for X, Y, you know, that's kind of, that's a game plan. Like they, they're thinking ahead, they're seeing what's happening, they're formulating a plan. 
And, um, and if, if they're doing it the day of and they're seeing these little things, you know two weeks ago they were doing the same thing, and two weeks before that they were planning. I mean, they've had a plan this whole time. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and when, you, when you realize that, you can say, okay, this, this, uh, this jiu-jitsu player is um, really good here, and this is their best throw, and, and this is how they finish their matches, and, and they're really aggressive. And then you can you can plan your strength training, and, and even more so their conditioning around that. Um, but I, I don't see that happening. Well, first of all, they're not doing strength or conditioning to begin with. But then when they are, they're certainly not doing that. And I think I think that's a huge part of it. And like I said, I, the, the top people, I guarantee they're doing that. You know. Oh, for sure. Uh, actually, I have something in my house. Um, I don't know if I can show it to you. It's a glass thing, but it says, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Yes. That's something I really believe in. And the best guys that got to the top compared to the guys that didn't, I think having a game plan is like super, super important. They say, like, Fido Emilienko, the one thing about him, he was very analytical, and he was very—he um, always had a game plan, but he would be able to um, change his game plan on a fly and he could think. And I think that might have to be because he was a really good fencer, and my understanding is that fencing, that's something you're constantly thinking. There's a, it's a big, it's a lot about strategy, mm-hmm. and I think that has helped him why he's so light on his feet. But... Um, when you get to the top, every small thing makes a difference. And I think when you have a game plan, it's super important. I, I used to have a friend. He uh, he actually won uh, he won a gold at Masters World in Judo. But I saw him evolve. And one thing that made him really well was he had a really good strategy. He would push someone to the red mat, and the guy would come in. He's like, I do this when he does that. Or he, he grips my upper shoulder, I turn off this. Left-handed, I do this. If the guy has this, I do Like, everything was broken down, and it was super prepared. And when you look at these really advanced judo DVDs, they show you how they do that with technique for 20, 30 scenarios. A left-handed guy, someone that's short grips like this or that. But they work through all these uh, possible positions, and, and they're ready. And, and that's why they succeed. And um, that's something that's super important. And coming back to training someone for their game is, I think that really makes a difference. Um, I was watching a, a jiu-jitsu guy who has really good guillotines, and he does a lot of like guillotine type of squeezes. Like his strength training is something that that isometric squeeze, and I think that's something that differentiates jiu-jitsu ground game from stand-up grappling sports is that. Squeeze. I see what, well, before I used to see it more like in MMA, someone would get a guillotine, he's squeezing, 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 his arms give out, and he couldn't finish the guy, he's standing back up, his arms are just done. And, um, and if you're going to, if you want to be good on the ground game, I think that's something you need to really work on, especially if you're doing that type of finishes. I know jujitsu guys talk about technique, 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 but still, Building a sport-specific type of uh, strength 
has a lot of value and you can't ignore it. And that's why some of these guys that do it, like what's his name? Dan Strauss is a really good jiu-jitsu guy and he trains like that and he gets a guillotine on. He has amazing technique, but there's so much, there's nothing wrong with putting muscle behind your technique as long as it's not going to give from your, um, your mobility, your flexibility. If it's not going to give from that, I, there's nothing wrong with it. Right. I, and I would agree with that. I think, and that's one of the big things that, um, that I focus on myself is too, is mobility and flexibility and being able to move. Um, I don't know how much you've, you've paid attention to my, um, Instagram or Facebook or anything, but you know, I do, I do mobility training, uh, try to twice a week for an hour at a time, um, specifically so that I don't get immobile and, and, you know, run into issues like that. And, uh, that's one more thing people don't want to do. Mobility work, I find for some reason, you you could get somebody to do crazy stuff in the in the uh, in the gym. Um, I think I talked about this in another uh, episode before, but you can get people to they can do the twenty rep <clears throat> twenty rep breathing squats and and almost die doing squats, and you can have them do you know crazy stuff, and then you're like, hey, uh, do you want to stretch afterwards? And they're like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like for some reason people don't want to really don't want to do the mobility and stretching and some somehow that the, they have that this mentality has grown that like stretching and and doing mobility work is more uncomfortable than jujitsu or more uncomfortable than lifting weights which i i find to be crazy but uh yeah people just don't want to do that stuff and i think that's that's very important too um and i don't think it takes a lot of time or energy to do that enough to where it'll matter. Like I said, I do twice a week, um, you know, an hour at a time and that's plenty for me. And, and I could, and I definitely get away with less than that most of the time. I mean, that's like when I'm really on it. Um, I don't think it takes a lot of time to do that. And I think you can also, as, as again, if you're consulting a professional, you can do a lot of mobility stuff while you're strength training. Um, proper strength training should also be, uh, building up your range of motion and your, your ability to move. Uh, I think James Fuller and I, uh, talked about that in an episode. Um, he does a lot of the old time barbell movements and the guy is crazy, um, mobile and, and flexible. And to my knowledge, he doesn't do any, any type of mobility training outside of, uh, you know, barbell training and strength training. And the dude can do, full splits and he does, he can do full snatches and he, you know, he can move very well. And uh, I think that's one of these things, again, that's lost when these jujitsu players or judo guys or whatever go and watch a YouTube video and learn how to strength train from that, because you're probably not going to get that type of strength training from some random YouTube video. And you're certainly not going to get that from the guy, you know, that works out at the local YMCA who can bench 315. Like he, he can't move anyway. So I don't know why you're training with him, right? Yeah, yeah. I I actually saw the, the uh, full splits. Man, that's that's impressive. Yeah, you have really good flexibility, and uh, I assume you probably don't have much injuries, right? With all the heavy lifting you do, with that type of flexibility, I'm sure I'm sure it will help. It's pretty amazing uh, how flexible you got, and that's something I I, I struggle with, but. One thing I like to do is I have a lot of like rollers while I'm watching TV. 
I just put them on the ground and I'm doing foam rolling and I stretch right after. Um, that's something that really helped me out. Some, if I'm training really, really hard, sometimes a Saturday, a couple hours, I'll just turn Netflix and I'm just, I, you put that like, uh, I guess the, I have the small balls that Rogue Fitness makes. I have like, I have so much rollers. I have so many rollers. And <laughs> I'll just spend a couple hours. And um, yeah, my friends give me a hard time. They, they, they call them sex toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have like an ottoman because my wife was like, I can't have these everywhere. So uh, we, we throw everything in there. But um, but when you do judo, like since 12 years old, I'm being thrown. And judo takes a toll on the body. You're constantly being thrown for years and years and years and years. Not to mention some of these clubs right now, they're putting the mats on concrete. Right. You're supposed to put wood. And and you're getting thrown and thrown and thrown. Even if you have good um, technique for falling, it takes a toll. It, yeah. it really takes a toll on you. And I, I had to uh, do that to be able to function. Uh, I guess like, like myofascial relief has so much, so much value. And, and I think like CrossFitters, um, are the ones that kind of figure that out because they're so messed up from just training all the time. And yeah, I mean, maybe not some of them, maybe not using the best technique for such complex lifts, not right. all of them, but they're putting their bodies through torture. And I think those guys really understand the value of um, myofascial release and, even, and stretching and things like that. Uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Kelly Starrett, read all his yeah. books, read all his products. Yeah. But but yeah, that, that's a huge factor, I think. I wish I had this when I was younger. And like you said, there's a lot of people out there that have this information available, but they just don't do it. They, they, they just, it was really hard for me, for my students, when I was, I was teaching judo for a very long time, I would take 20, 30 minutes sometimes just stretching after class. They didn't want to do it. They just, but they were young. They were young. And a buddy of mine just hit 30 and... And I was talking to him, he was telling me all these injuries he had. And I was like, Joe, like, you, you never listened to me, man. You made fun of me for my rollers and <laughs> all, all the stretches I did. But now, now he's doing it. But it would be so much better if he did that earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you brought up an interesting point there. I think um, you're right. Crossfitters do tend to have um, – they be, they pay more attention to their, their mobility and their recovery and stuff a lot of the time. Um recovery in the sense of, of mobility and foam rolling and stuff. Um, like power lifters, not so much. (laughs) Um, they don't really do that except it's the same kind of situation with martial arts and strength training, right? The guys at the top, the women at the top. So if if you look at it like a pyramid again, and the people at the top of the pyramid, the best, the best power lifters always have some kind of mobility, myofascial release, all that um, a really good example of that is is Donnie Thompson. Oh um, yeah, I'm a big fan of him. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm a huge fan of his. Um, he puts out quality information, um, <clears throat> and I, I don't know for sure. I've never asked him this, but I think he used to do all this stuff when he was powerlifting, and he'd make it up. And he he would well he would consult people, but he would make some stuff up and figure out how to like re- get this to release and how to do this and that right. And I think it was so. Uh, natural for him to come up like, Hey, I got to fix this problem. I'm going to fix it. I'll talk to these people. I think at that point in time when he was competing, 
he just thought it was like everybody was doing that. Because <laughs> you didn't see all this stuff coming out. But now that he's retired and he's like looking around, he's like, wait, nobody's doing this. And now he's like, you guys got to do this. And he's sending out all this information. And there's tons of information out now um, with his, um, like he does body tempering clinics. I went to his, um, the body tempering one clinic. I plan to go to the number two one of these days. Um, he was on an episode of Mobility Wad with Kelly Starrett. Um, you know, they got together and, and did that stuff. So the people at the top, again, they're doing this stuff, but it's not trickling down into the powerlifting community as much as it should. And um, the CrossFitters are on top of it, but but there's stuff that they're not doing, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it goes back to what you said earlier. You got to do everything that your, um, your, you know, your competition's doing plus, plus some. You know, so the CrossFitters could benefit from doing some of the stuff powerlifters are doing. The powerlifters can benefit from some of the CrossFitting stuff, the jiu-jitsu guys, judo, you know, all that. Uh, you just, you know, and, and then it comes down to how much time do you have in a day. But <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. And, of course, you want to do the, the things that are, are probably useful, everything that is probably useful if you want to do what they're not doing. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um. So let's talk about the, the Grappito. Um, I've seen, uh, well, well, I have one. Um, uh, uh, Emory sponsored um, Rite of Passage 4, um, December 1st, here in Morgantown. We have the Old Time Grip Strength Medley. Um, as of right now, there will probably be 30 to 40 um, grip tests within this one event. Um, you'll have uh, 60, 60 or 90 seconds um to do collect as many points as possible during this event. This is the fifth event at Rite of Passage. And um, we have, we've been lucky enough. He sponsored to send us a Grappito. So I have one here at my house. Um, and uh, we're going to feature that in the event. So it'll be one of the ways to collect points. Um, this thing is pretty versatile. Uh, a bunch of different stuff you can do with it. I've seen, I've watched uh, on the on the Instagram page, man, at least four or five different things you can do with it. Um, you know, it's like a, a globe style um, deadlift lift. Um, you can actually slide it onto the end of a barbell and turn it into um, a, a wrist roller, which I think is super, super, super cool because um, uh, most wrist rollers aren't very good <laughs> and, and uh and then the ones that are 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 huge like the iron mind one and, and, and expensive and things like that and and then you can only do basically one thing with it so it's really cool that you can do multiple things with this and, and it's much smaller than a lot of the uh wrist rollers and stuff so that's very cool and uh and everybody should have a barbell to attach it to i mean <laughs> i don't know why you'd have a wrist roller and no barbell so it just makes sense there and um yeah, and, and you can also do, um, like you said, like arm extended style, um, uh, like pronation, supination kind of stuff. Like you're opening a jar with it, which is really cool. There's not many products out there that you can do that with. Um, and then, like you said, you can jam it into the rice. You can do stuff with the rice. Um, man, uh, there's just so many things you can do with it. Did I miss anything? Uh, no, you. I think I think you got every. I think you got everything. I think captured. Pretty much everything. Um, yeah, the one like when you insert in a barbell, you can. There's different ways to do it. Um, I think pitchers that are using it now, they like to have their arm extended 
and they kind of, I think, uh, they had their torso like maybe at like 60 degrees leaning forward, so you hit, get hitting the shoulder a little bit better. I like to just stand straight and act it across me, but you can you can change the angel angles. But I also like to have my elbow 90 degrees mm-hmm. and just work on the supination pronation. Um, I'm a huge fan of sledgehammers. Uh, Chad Johnson, I I, I I love the guy. He's awesome, and he's been really, really great. He put so much great information out there for everyone. Uh, he, he's just a genius. He really knows, obviously, he really, really knows what he's doing. Um, it's not for me to say, but the guy's just really awesome. I just like how he changed, uh, I think, a lot of sports. Like in judo and jiu-jitsu, I know a lot of guys that study his work, and their mm-hmm. game has changed because of him. Oh, that's and, cool. And he's really amazing. Um, and I do a lot of sledgehammer stuff. And for grappling, like like we talked before, it's not just the hand uh, grip, but the wrist, um, how your uh, forearm is, um, and even the shoulder. Um, you're working multiple muscle groups in the arm at the same time. So just having like a, a grip or just having the hand strength mostly which focus on, it will help. It will definitely help. And um, But... I wanted a way that I can train more muscle groups at the same time and having that wrenching, twisting motion, which I feel is something that transfers to grafting a lot, um, um, available to people to do. And like you said, it, there's not too many exercises out there unless you grip a sledgehammer, which I still do. I still There's a lot of benefits to that um, that I do in my uh, game. Um, I guess just... A couple things um, to say. There used to be a loading pin that a company can make that you can lift plates off the ground. I don't think the company, I think it's called that. Uh, fat Bastard. Fat- yeah, yeah, yeah. Fat Bastard Barbell, well, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't think they're making that anymore. Um, you might have to make that. But I still like like the arm lift type of stuff, lifting stuff off the ground, ripping the ball. I think all of that is very, very good for Raptors. Yeah. And, um, but I like to combine them all together and yeah. have a list of the things I found that are helpful that I used to have for years. And that's kind of what made the design. The things that I found to be helpful, how do I put them together? Um, and I was lucky, I was lucky and fortunate enough, I did find something that all the stuff I like to do, put it in one. So it was, I think I got lucky too. Yeah, I think I think it's cool. A lot of the people that um, are inventing equipment now um, are kind of doing that. They it's like, well, I have this thing. How can I do like a bunch of stuff with this one thing? Which is really cool because I've been doing. Um, well, I've been lifting for like twenty years and competing for twelve. And man, until the last like I don't know, I'd say like five years, <clears throat> it's like you would buy one thing for this and one thing for this. And then you got a mountain of equipment. Just take, you know what I mean? And it's really cool that guys like you are coming out with equipment that it saves a lot of space and it's just smarter in general. You know, it just, it's just less wasteful period. And it's just really cool to have things you can do a bunch of different stuff with. And, um, and I think stuff like this is really great for, uh, like uh, school weight rooms, college weight rooms, high school weight rooms and stuff, because that's one of the things they run into. Well, they have, they have a certain budget, you know, they can't just be buying everything. Maybe some of the colleges can, but uh, you know, they can't, 
be buying everything and they only have so much space and, and, and it's just really cool if you could get things like this into college weight rooms for grip and, and you could, you would only need a handful of them and you could train a whole group of people just really cool stuff. Um, and, I, and I'm glad that everything is kind of, um, kind of going that direction. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I thank you. I appreciate that. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, end of the day, I wanted to create something that really, really adds value. I don't have a marketing background. I'm just really an engineer and I, I'm, I'm picking up all these things along, but one of my goals and purpose was to, to invent something that really helped people empower them in a way that helped their performance, possibly prevent injuries or having a low impact tool that um, they can use, especially maybe when they're a little hurt and not feeling the best, maybe they have a nagging injury. Um, another thing, how the sand thing happened was I had a really bad shoulder. Injury. I went to Virginia Beach and I was doing, I was working out on the sand and I was doing hand, handstand um, walks, which I couldn't do for years because my shoulder would just hurt the next day so bad. I just did it because it was fun. And, and I noticed it's low impact, so it's a little bit better on my shoulder. And I was surprised the next day I had no pain. I was like, oh, this, this is really interesting. This is really, really interesting. And the sand there, it was like the area where it hits the water, so it was like flat. And, and your fingers would go into the sand a little bit. So um, it, it was like it was like a perfect type of sand. And other beaches I went to, I didn't get to have that exact experience. But... I always knew sand is something very therapeutic and it's very low impact and it's really mm -hmm. great. And another thing that helped a lot of injuries is sled training and battle ropes. I just really liked it because I'm a beat up judo guy. I've been for quite a long time just really, really beat up. And methods like that for me have so much value. And it's just not just a physical therapy uh, recovery or low impact thing. If, I, if I'm grappling, doing heavy stuff, a few days, I need a couple days I'm doing things like this to stay healthy and to be able to keep going. And I'm just, end of the day, we can so, put so much wear and tear on ourselves. Um, you need to be smart with your training. And I think that's why bottom ropes got so popular. It's very low impact and super effective. Sleds, it just took off in NFL and all the sports. Sled training is amazing. And there's a lot of theories, oh, does it slow you down or not? I think Joe DeFranco was uh, spearheaded a lot of those things and took it head on, um, and I, I'm, I'm a big follower of his. But sled training has been something that really helped me deal with injuries when I had a back injury, a knee injury, things like that. So I really like concentric type of training, and not to mention you're not breaking down as much muscle, um, so you're not as sore the next day. Um, so I really, really focused on it. And for the forearms, I was like, how do I do this for my forearms um, and replicate, get the same benefits? And there's not too many things out there that I could find. I guess you can do a, you can do a forearm, uh, I guess a wrist, wrist roll and just work the concentric phase and just roll it down and do that. And I have done that. It's been really, really great. But I really like when you do supination and pronation, that's something when you have an elbow injury, when you go to physical therapy, that's something they made me do a lot. That was something that it, it's 
Um, it's something that a lot of, I guess it's a classic thing that will make people do with tennis, elbow, or gol- golfer's elbow. Um, and and I, I did physical therapy for a couple of years, so I was like, how do I, and that's something that really, really helped. But I was like, how do I get that with the benefits of concentric training? What can I do? And that's kind of how it worked. Um, one thing to maybe point out, I was talking to somebody that was doing the sand bucket training, and I was telling him to have his elbow like at 90 degrees bending over, working it like this, but also doing your arm fully extended to get some shoulder work. Mm-hmm. And he really liked that, and I kind of like to do the – I like to have – internal, external rotation, and forearm supination, pronation. Uh, at the same time, when I'm working, I just I just really like the benefits of it. And hopefully in the future, we can fund some research. There will be more research on the Grappito. But right now, I guess I can just say the sand training is low impact and, uh, and mainly concentric for the forearm muscles. Yeah, I think that... Um... <clears throat> That pronation, <clears throat> supination, is highly uh, underrated. <clears throat> it's something a lot of people don't do because it's uh, well, it's, it's not glamorous. You're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, have, you know, do a five hundred pound, you know, hammer supination or, or anything like that. It's not, it's not that glamorous. Um, <clears throat> it's not. Uh, it's not cool to see. It's not that visually stimulating. There aren't world records on it. Um, you know, but, but it's super important, like you said, especially for injuries. And, um, and I've actually come across, uh, the benefits of this twice, um, in, in my training. Um, number one was I tore my bicep, uh, I don't know, three years ago, four years ago. And, um, well, you, you lose the ability to, uh, to pronate. Um, it can't do it. It couldn't start my car. You'd grab the key and just stare at your hand like <laughs> something's supposed to happen here. So I'd have to reach under the steering wheel and start my car. Anyway, um, oh, wow. Wow. Uh, and actually, I, I misspoke. It's, it's supinate, not pronate. But um, <clears throat> in any case, so in the rehab process, that's we were doing a lot of that. Once I got the thing reattached, we were doing a lot of pronation, supination type stuff. And, um, I kind of realized the benefits of that immediately. Cause when you don't have it, you realize like, Hey, wait a minute. Um, and then later on, uh, I have, I've had uh, bicep tendonitis for a very long time. Um, years. Uh, I mean, I couldn't even tell you when I, when I first experienced it, <clears throat> I've had it for a really long time. And, uh, back to Jed Johnson, I actually hired him. He's my grip strength coach. <clears throat> so, you know, I'm consulting with him and I'm telling him about, uh, my bicep tendonitis, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, try this. And, and again, I think it was one of those cases of like, it's so common for him. He didn't, he's just like, oh, well, just, you know, do this. It's like not a big deal or what. Well, he, but the crazy thing is he cured it. Like I, I, um, I haven't really had any issues and I've really tested it too. I mean, like there's certain stuff that used to, I, if I would do it, um, it was like game over. Like I would have tendonitis. I wouldn't be able to use my arm for two weeks. You know, I used to not be able to arm wrestle. If I would arm wrestle game over, I mean, I would legitimately be like, well, I'm not going to be able to do presses or rows for two weeks, like just period. And, um, and now I, I arm wrestle, uh, about every other week. 
Um, and, and I've been doing other crazy stuff and I really haven't had any issues uh, unless I stopped doing the rotational stuff. Um, I had, I've been, I've had, uh, eight competitions now this, this year or nine. I can't remember how many, eight or nine right now. I think my ninth one is coming up. I think I just did my eighth. So, um, and, and I usually take a significant amount of time off before and after a competition. Um, and, and in the beginning, I wasn't still doing the pronation supination in that time off. So I had a flare up, but I was smart enough to realize, Hey, wait a minute, this is why. So now, even when I take the time off before the competition and after I'm still doing that stuff because that's how important it is. And, uh, and it really was just laziness not doing it anyway, because it's, it's not like that beats you up enough to really warrant not doing it. Um, it was just like, Hey, I don't have to go to the gym for squats and deadlifts. So I'm not going to go do supination either, <laughs> but, but, but I learned my lesson. Now I go do it. Uh, but it, but it's, it's huge. It's, it's fixed tendonitis that I've had for a decade. And, um, that alone, I mean, like I said, if I did arm wrestling or something and there was other stuff, sometimes like axle, like cleaning an axle bar or something would, would aggravate it. Um, but it'll take you out of the game. And if you're not training, you're falling behind, you know? So this stuff, it might not be, it might not be glamorous. Um, it might not be, uh, whatever, but it's super important. You still with me? Okay. Cool. But yeah. That's, it's vastly important to do the pronation supination stuff. And uh, like I said, it's not glamorous, but, but you should probably be doing it. Um, and, and especially with, uh, with grappling, I remember, um, and I haven't done serious grappling in a while. Uh, but I remember back when I was doing jujitsu a lot, um, if, if I got in certain situations, it would kind of flare that tendonitis up. Um, or, or if I was doing jujitsu, like for a ridiculous amount of time within a week, like if I was going five days a week and grappling for like four hours at a time, like my elbows would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And, and, I had the exact same issue. And, and I'd be interested to see, because I didn't know this then, um, but I'd be, I would say that if I had been doing the pronation supination, that maybe that, I mean, maybe that wouldn't be the case. Um, so, and I suspect there's a lot of guys, especially if you're a pro, um, or, or you're training for worlds or, you know, like depending on if you're considered elite or you're at that top level, I mean, I would imagine those guys are, are training, you know, several hours every day or, or maybe doing two a days or whatever. So that can be very, very important for them. Um, so I think, I think it's pretty important for most sports, you know? And I think, um, I think Jed actually, um, initially uses that in his protocol for baseball. I think it's to help with, um, uh, elbow issues for, for baseball pitchers and, and batting and stuff. Um, so, I mean, if, if it's good for strength, uh, strength athletes, um, grapplers and baseball, I would say it would probably damn near be good for almost everybody, you know? Oh yeah. So, uh, so Jed made you do it with like the sledgehammer, right? The elbow 90 degrees. Um, yeah. And I also have, when I tore my bicep, I got a top roller. Um, 
it's an arm wrestling tool that you pronate and supinate. Um, I'll send you a uh, a link to it um, once we're done with the call. Yeah, I, I like to check it out. I like to check it out. Uh, yeah, I think uh, elbow supination pronation is like super important. And yeah, I, I didn't do it until I was going to physical therapy. And I was like, oh, I, sh- I should have done this because it's actually, it's it's really, it has so many benefits and it's it's neglected big time. And um, I think Jed does a really good job. I, I bought his like elbow rehab fascinating has a lot of stuff and i think that's why he's putting so much good information out there because i i know he, i read his book he heard himself and he talks about how he was trying to open a door and he couldn't he had to go see yeah. the nurse and the guy but like i think a lot of people that get into captain of crush bending um, nails and things like that they hit that phase and then jed went through that long before and he's like hey guys you do this to get through it. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really great. He makes that uh, available for a lot of people. And uh, arm wrestlers, I think I'm studying arm wrestling now a little bit. I have a good friend um, that is, uh, he's, uh, he's like, 60, like 145 pounds and he's trying to get his actually Captain Crush. Uh, I think he's trying to close three. And he was, I don't know if it's true or not. We were talking and he's like, I, I don't, he, he didn't think there's someone that light that closing. And, um, and I, I've been learning a lot from him. But one thing I came, I couldn't help but to come to realize, it looks like arm wrestlers figured this out because yeah. I see a lot of videos, they have like a belt and they have weights and they kind of have it at like a 90, elbow at 90 degrees working both ways. And like I do that a lot. I get my judo belt, put some plates on it and I have my elbow 90 degrees. Uh, and I'm just working internal and external rotation, um, gripping the belt. One, another thing, like I do that, I still do a lot of sledgehammer stuff, additional to the grappito. And one thing I just built the other day, which is kind of cool, and I kind of stole it from like a, like a Russian website. You get a wood ball and you drill a hole through it and you get like a, like a, like a survival bracelet type of string. I don't know what this, like a highly rated string. Yeah, yeah. You, pass it through but then you grip like a nylon strap and then you hook hook it to a weight so that way you're gripping the ball and you're doing the same thing but that gripping activates uh more muscles in the forearm so it's kind of cool for that whole muscle recruitment and i like to mix that up with sledgehammering and the grappito sand work both together Mm -hmm. yeah um i think so uh I think, and, and I might be wrong here, but just from what I've gathered from arm wrestling is uh, pronation, supination became very important uh, once people started top rolling a lot. Um, I guess early on, people did what was called hooking, and every everybody hooked. So you would hook when you would arm wrestle, and that's basically curling your wrist in, and, and, and you that's a lot of side pressure and stuff. Um, then top rolling became, you know, a, a big thing and, and, you know, the movie over the top or whatever. And, um, you have to have a very strong pronation supination for that stuff. And, um, they started coming out with all kinds of stuff. And that's where the, the top roller I talked about, they have that. And, uh, um, and then you, they have straps, like you said, where you can pronate and supinate with it. And there's a bunch of stuff that come out and it's specifically for that top roll m- movement. Um, 
But I think because of that, because they're doing this thing for a very specific part of their sport, they're also uh, realizing and reaping the benefits of it otherwise. And now it's even more popular because it's like, hey, this this isn't just a thing that's going to help me win. It also has like this laundry list of benefits under it. And yeah. and now they're really, uh, I mean, there's so many things out there and arm wrestling's like this, uh, it's kind of like this underground strength sport thing. And a lot of people don't, uh, unless you're really into it, a lot of people don't follow it and stuff. But if you, if you go online, if you just get in Google and you go down the rabbit hole, you'll find like all these cool little toys and stuff that these people have come up with and built and all these cool training methods and there's a lot of pronation supination stuff in there now because of this. Yeah, yeah, I think they figured out like I I, I don't know how to, it evolved, but um, they figured out along the way this is something that helped the elbow issues, and they're like, oh yeah, we do this. And I think there's a lot of crossover with arm arm lifting and um, uh, arm wrestling, and and they're learning that, and they're keep even if they're not arm wrestling anymore they still use that for yeah. their grip training, which was which was kind of cool and being in a sport like grip sport for for a long time um or even arm wrestling because you're constantly uh i can see having a lot of elbow inflammation a lot of it because you're constantly doing the same specific movement and you're working against another force and there's a lot of eccentric loads um i can see a lot of injuries i can see a lot of things possibly mm-hmm. going wrong and they have to do things like this to stay healthy to keep doing it, which is like super important. One thing I like to focus on is overall human performance. And early on, one thing that I realized was if you want to perform, you got to stay healthy. That's the main thing. Staying healthy, like that pyramid, the bottom, stretching, myofascial release, corrective exercises. It has, it's the bottom of the pyramid. Without that, you're not going to be able to peak. You're not going to be able to perform. And that's why I spent a lot of time into physical therapy and things like this. Because, like, you know, one thing that could, you know, aggravates elbows is, like, judo, jiu-jitsu, you're gripping a gi that's super thin. Mm-hmm. We're not really designed to grip thin things. It's a man-made sport. Um, I guess they're talking, like, in hockey, there's a lot of um, groin injuries. It's a man-made sport. We're not really meant to be... Uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, ice skating, really. It's something we made. We're not really designed to move that way. And really, grappling, you're gripping a cloth that's so thin. If you do it long enough, you're very likely to have an elbow injury. And, like, one thing my buddy was telling me, he's a physical therapist. Um, I guess, like, construction workers, they do a lot of hammer activities, and they get, apparently get a lot of tennis elbow because mm-hmm. it's better than they do it a lot. Yeah. One thing to do is they just give a, a thicker handle because uh, apparently that's something that a lot of times makes the pain go away. And that's why I do a lot of general like, um, like a general preparation type of stuff throughout my if – I'm, if I'm training athletes for judo, I will make them do like, like the four-inch ball grab – and or the thick bar, things like that. And towards competition, yeah, you know what? You will get a gi handle, and you put a lot of weight on it, and you will do, like, wings. And and hopefully, that's a short time. He's going to be okay with 
And I guess at the bottom, when you feel that weight coming down and you're really, really dripping, mm -hmm. and he's going to be, but if I do that all the time, he's going to just have a lot of elbow yeah. issues. I don't, I, and I think a lot of people who go into this in grappling, they get the gi handles, they're doing a lot of pull ups, they're loading it, fan stuff. I, I think they need to do like more like thick bar training, things like that. And to just, uh, that way they're not constantly working on, on just the thin grip. Oh, that's been so much stress on the elbows. Yeah, I would agree. I, and I think actually <clears throat> one thing I've noticed with grip sport is um, strong men, pe people from strong men, um, and, and keep in mind a lot of the strong men now are not doing, um, well, there, a lot of them are just avoiding grip work, period, for whatever reason. But a lot of them don't do the crazier grip stuff. So, like, they're, they're really only getting their grip training from, like, uh, farmer's walks and, and axle bar uh, <clears throat> deadlifts and stuff like that. And I'm not, not even talking double overhand or holds or anything. I'm saying that they're just doing a mixed grip axle deadlift and, and farmer's walks and stuff like that. And then they will come into grip sport or play around with it, and, the, and they'll do very well. Um they may not win uh, their division or whatever, but they'll do freakishly well. And I think it's because um, a lot of the strongman implements, uh, especially the things that are working the whole body, have some of the best carryover. And I think, oh, yeah. I think oh. a good thick bar, good thick bar training, um, and they talk about this in dinosaur training, has yep, some yep. of the best carryover to everything else. And as long as it's a reasonable sized axle bar for your hand and wrist size, because you can go too big and that'll cause problems. Um, mm -hmm. But as long as it's a good, you know, I would say, I would say most people can handle a two inch axle bar um, or, or one and three quarter. Uh, but that'll have a huge carryover. And, and then you'll have this awesome base for grip strength. And like you said, then if you have some, risky activity or whatever and you can't do it year round well that'll build such a solid base that you only need two or three weeks of this risky behavior to be prepared to go to the competition or whatever and then you can immediately go back to the thick bar no problem and and train that way and, and i think that's a smart way to do it and i think um it's evident with with the strongman because you see it all the time um even even before there's periods of my training where my only grip strength training was really coming from um, axle bar deadlifts. Um, I almost exclusively deadlift on an axle bar uh, without straps um, and then farmer's walks. And, and, and I always use uh, really difficult farmer handles. I don't, I don't try to find the easy ones. I, I use the hard rolling handle stuff and, um, and oh, then nice. And then I, I would just win or do well in grip events and things like that. And I kind of figured out like, Hey, these are, these are the best base builders. These are the things that are, have the best carryover to everything else. And, um, if you're doing like axle bar cleans or high pulls and stuff, I think because of the way it works, the, the, the hands in conjunction with the rest of the body, it builds a type of strength and awareness of the body that, that has a huge carryover to other stuff. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head because, because that's the smart way to train, find things that's not going to hurt you. That has like a huge carryover. And then you can do those other things 
if as long as your base is good enough, you only need a couple of weeks to really transfer your strength and power into that uh, that specific thing. I think that's important, and, and that's that's a, a good mark. Of, that's a mark of a good coach that can identify that and do that. So um, that's pretty smart. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's I kind of find it's out the hallway after doing like I would do like uh, geese circuits. I would have the handles and just go through like ten exercises, and then and then I don't know if you've seen it. They have like a like a deep cloth, like it's like a rope, but you're climbing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just it's so much like on your elbows, and mm-hmm. a lot of young guys get away with it. Okay, but if you want to be in the game for a very long time, you got to be smart. You got to train smart, and you got to realize how these things are putting a lot of stress on your body. And I'm a huge fan of thick bar training. And like you said, you can easily go a little too thick and not get the exact benefits of the spot. Yeah. I like to change it up because there is some benefits of it, but really that I think like a regular axle bar for most people is okay if you don't have really small hands. But it, I think that's a perfect, uh, that's that sweet spot. You get all these really good benefits of it. And dinosaur training is the one that first pointed out. And a lot of the good athletes in the game, I noticed that I know um, that's something they do. Mm-hmm. If you look up even like, um, that, what's that guy's name? He has like the airdyne record. Um, Bobby Maximus, he wrote a book. Um, he was on Jody Franco. But like I was looking for his pictures the other day. I was like, ah, he does, he does axle bar training. Um, and he, he has actually two farmers carrying things like those. But a lot of the athletes I know, they use that. And it's it's really weird. I never thought about that until I read the dinosaur thing. I never thought. Like, when you do it, there's so many benefits. You don't realize it until you do it. Mm-hmm. And I, actually, after a while, I had the fat grip uh, handles. And even when I go to the gym, I use the upper body bike. I'll put the lawn there yeah. because... I just feel like my back, I'm activating a lot more. And, I, and I'll, I'll take it off. I'll do them both. But I was putting that on everything. And that's a really, really good product, too, uh, that I really, really like. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, are you familiar with Ode Haugen? I'm sorry. You cut off for a second. Oh. you got? Can you hear me? Yeah. Now I can hear you. Uh, are you familiar with Ode Haugen? No. I'm not. Um, well, he's the he runs um, Arm Lifting USA, and, um, and and he's done everything. I mean, he was like a a bodybuilder. He he was um, a power lifter. Uh, he went in the world strongest man. I think he's the oldest the oldest human being to do a str- uh, world strongest man competition. And he's also I think he's done more. He, I think he holds the record for being in the most world's strongest man competitions or something. Um, he's never won, but he's always, you know, he's been in the, in the finals multiple times. Um, super strong guy. Um, he holds like, um, world records with the inch dumbbell and, and every grip event he holds like the record for. But uh, anyway, what I was getting at was, um, the way he trains is he, he tries to make grip part of everything. So, um, and he told me this, he said, if, if he does, um, like a sled drag, right, he'll put fat grips on the sled handles. So 
literally everything, um, everything he does, uh, he tries to make it to add that grip to it. So he'll do like you did and put fat grips on, you know, if he's riding an airdyne bike, it's, it's got fat grips on it. If he's doing pull-ups, it's never on a regular bar. It's on a thicker bar. If he's doing uh, barbell rows, it's on a thick bar, whatever it is, if they, there's always um, some amount of grip involved with it. If, if it's at all possible to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's paid off because he has, and this is arguable, obviously, with anything, but I would say that Ode Haugen has the strongest hands in the world. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, especially if, if you account for age, <laughs> he has he has the strongest hands in, in the world. Um, you should definitely look him up. I'll send you a link uh, to him. I think if I see him, I'll probably recognize him. Like, I'm... I think the Ricardo, uh, the, the grip guy, he had it three mm-hmm. episodes ago. Like I've been following him for a really long time. I, I he's quite amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm pretty bad with names. Maybe I, I probably have seen him. He trains, yeah, I'll definitely check. He trains uh, Martins uh, Lisis um, out in California. At uh, he owns the training hall in California. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. cool. I'll definitely check him out. And that's interesting. Yeah, that's. That's kind of how I did things too. My fat grips would go everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, like one thing, like when I did have elbow issues, one thing that helped me a lot is I learned it from uh, Michael Boyle. Oh yeah, I, yeah. Um, it's so simple, and I never thought about it. But it's sometimes good to give elbows, uh, forearms a break, and when we're doing a lot of pulling. You're always gripping. One thing I learned from him is he would get a strap and he'd put his hand, wrap the strap so it's around the wrist. But you're not really squeezing that much, but you can do a lot of rows uh, without stressing your um, forearms. And sometimes if I have like pain flaring up, I would do that for a couple of weeks, at least work my back and things like that. I found out to be a super helpful tool because. Like he's right. Like if we're doing any pulling motion, uh, or even like bicep and tricep work, like you're, you're gripping something. Uh, even a bench press, you are. You, you have to grip it. Maybe it's not as like you're not gripping as much. Uh, well, in some ways you are. But with pushing, like I was pushing the sled the other day, I can get away with just having my palms on it and just push without working my forearms. But when you're pulling, your your forearms are super involved. Right. And because of that it does get a lot of stress on it and it's good to have that option to take the load off in a couple of weeks. I'll do that. And I found it to be a pretty valuable tool for myself. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think the straps, like you said, I think the strap is a tool. And when you put the strap, when you're using the strap, I think you have to, uh, there has to be a game plan and there has to be a reason. Um, straps, there's a lot of people that hate them. <laughs> and there's, yeah, a, yeah. you know, there's a lot of like, what are you wearing straps for and stuff like that. And I, I think that stems from people overusing them and just like instinctively trying to get away from using their hands. But when you understand that, Hey, this is a tool and like, how do I use this tool? Right. Um, then I think the strap definitely has a place in training and, uh, and, um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Cause 
I can't remember which competition it was. Uh, I had one where we had um, regular deadlifts in it uh, with, with a deadlift, a deadlift, a regular bar. And um, I was doing a lot of the grip training. Like I said, Jed does my grip stuff and I'm doing, I'm doing a grip workout, specifically grip uh, four days a week. And um, uh, so when I'm doing my deadlift training for that competition, I would put straps on for that. I started doing that maybe uh, three weeks out, two or three weeks out. So I switched from the axle bar to the regular bar and was wearing straps just because I'm already doing four Jed Johnson style, pretty intense grip workouts in a week. I, you know, to wear straps on the deadlift, uh, you know, one day a week wasn't, it wasn't a big deal, you know, but if I hadn't been doing grip workouts and then I'm just wearing straps for no reason on the deadlift, there could be, there could be a downside to that. Of course. Yeah. And I actually wasn't really talking about straps with deadlifts. Um, that's something I haven't experimented with for a very long time. This is more like if you're doing like a cable, uh, cable row, um, you just wrap it around your, your wrist just to get some uh, back uh, muscle activation without yeah. stressing the elbow much. For deadlift straps, yeah, I, I haven't done that for a very long time, and I haven't thought about it from that point of view. When I think about straps and deadlifting, I'm thinking you're still like gripping it really hard, and you're lifting, and the strap just helps you with that extra. Mm-hmm. 20%, 50%, whatever your grip is not going to handle anymore. The way I do it is actually just resting the grip uh, completely and working the back. Another way I do it is also if you get like a thick band, like 100-pound band, I would it's, I would hook the band up, and the band is parallel to the ground. I would put my elbow inside the band. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and then I'll cup it with my hand from the bottom, but I'm kind of pulling uh, – it's pretty much hooked to the back of my elbow. Okay. I'm doing short range pulling motions to activate my back. If I if I have elbow issues and I want to kind of risk it, plus I feel like I, I like to I like to do that. I, I like to do that, especially if you're grappling. I feel like it helps me when I get into the clinch. I can lock up and I can mm-hmm. I can use my back a little bit better. But I think it first originated from. I need to give my forearms a rest a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, well, we're about out of time. Um, I do want to uh, thank you for being on the uh, podcast today. Um, I also want to thank you for for being um, one of our sponsors at Rite of Passage. Um, that, that's a huge, huge uh, help. And <clears throat> it's people like you to help make that event. Um, like I said, we're going to have a bunch of uh, grip implements out there. Uh, I'm going to try to get some video and pictures from that event. So I'll get you uh, some footage of the Grippedo in action. And um, I can't wait to see what people can do with it. Cause to my knowledge, uh, nobody in West Virginia has featured one in a competition. So um, this will be the first time in West Virginia that this has been featured in a competition. So I'm really interested to see what people can do with it. And, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see where that goes. Um, well, huge thanks for being a sponsor with that again. Thanks for being on, on the, uh, podcast today. And, uh, hopefully, yeah, thank you so much. I, 
Yeah, yeah I really appreciate this. This was this was a lot of fun. I I really appreciate the, the opportunity. This has been really really great. And I'm really happy to sponsor the uh, the competition, and I look forward. Um, I'm actually curious to see how how you plan to use it, um, and what the things you guys. I don't know if there's a plan yet, uh, but I really look forward to how it's going to be used and what you guys are going to do. And yeah, we're fairly new. Uh, our company hasn't even been a year yet been on the market so this is this first strong man competition that it's going to be a part of so i really look forward to it cool yeah um i don't have a plan as of yet i gotta i don't want everybody to see it just yet so i gotta i gotta sneak over to the gym and play around with it and see um what's possible weight wise and all that so um as soon as i can sneak in after hours and play around with it i'll have a, a pretty good idea what we're going to do with it um but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I can't wait um, to see. I, I'm always really excited to see stuff that is kind of new. You know, um, it's like you can do, you know, captains of crush grippers and stuff. I, I've seen people close a three. I've seen people close a four. I want to see new stuff, like and, and exciting stuff and things. You know, this thing's I don't know how big that ball is. Is that, is that like a four inch ball? I, I mean, yeah. I've seen people do like a softball and stuff. This thing's bigger. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's smoother. It's going to be, it's going to be hard. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see, uh, you know, what people can do and, and how different hand sizes work on it and, and all that. It's, it's going to be really cool. Um, and hopefully, uh, I think the, I think the competitors will love it. Uh, the people that sign up for this particular competition, um, they're, they're a different breed of strongman and, and they're really after really tough, um, gnarly things to do. And, um, I think, I think it'll be great. So, uh, I'm really pumped for it. And again, I want to thank you for, um, supplying us with that. It, that it's, it's a big help and, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm super pumped for it. And yeah, it's, it's been really great, uh, to be a part of it. And I, I'm stoked looking forward to see what these guys can you know, do with it and how much you're going to be able to lift and things like that. I'm, I'm really psyched about it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Cool, yeah. Uh, this has been John the Viking Mauser with the Get Strong or Die podcast. 